Hey, this is Current Yield, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. I'm Jim Grant, and uh, welcoming you to this uh, pre-vacation edition of this podcast. Um, with us, is, uh, as always, is Eric Whitehead at the Control Panel, and, uh, and uh, Phil Grant, who is the editor of Almost Daily Grants. And uh, coming to us remotely is the great deputy editor of Grants, Evan Lorenz, who is, uh, I think, in the wilds of Brooklyn. You know, vacation time around here at Grants is always a, a moment of, uh, of intense interest because you never know where people are going to go. For example, well, Eric, for example, is the principal world traveler of this organization, and he goes to the strangest places. I, Eric, was it? Was it? <laughs> <laughs> where are we going this time? Yeah. So I, I listen in sometimes to his conversations with his travel agents, and he was talking about Portland, Oregon. Bring the, <laughs> the most exotic destination yet. Bring the kids, you know. But is that still on, Eric? Or is it? That's still on, yes. And Evan, I think that you are planning a, kind of a, a stayish a staycation, you know, as a, living among cardboard boxes as you are. I guess you got your work cut out for you. Yes, I'm, I'm planning on seeing the scenic north side of my apartment this uh, following two weeks. Yeah. Evan is a, is a frequent traveler to uh, the 50th state, Hawaii, which, although it lacks something of the uh, geopolitical drama that Eric seeks in his uh, travel, is, uh, is similarly now kind of off limits, right? You have to go there and, and, and stay in, uh, what, the airport men's room for two weeks? Is that it? Yeah, they, they quarantine you for two weeks, which means yeah. if you have 15 days there, you can spend one day on the beach and 14 days in a hotel. I guess aloha means don't come, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's the new thing in New York City, too. Don't come. Hey, have you heard that uh, they canceled the uh, Christmas Spectacular, the Rockettes Christmas Spectacular? It's been going on continuously, not continuously, but seasonally, once a year, yeah. seasonally, right? every year since 1933. And now they've canceled it. Do you know why? Because uh, of coronavirus? I guess. They didn't mention a reason. But the, uh, the New York Philharmonic is doing nothing until January, and I guess the uh, Metropolitan Opera is similarly dark. But uh, can you not think, Eric Whitehead, Evan Lorenz, and Phil Grant, could you not think of one major intellectual and cultural event that is, in fact, going forward, say, on October 20th, 2020, at the Plaza Hotel? Can you not think of one? I can think of one. Yeah, the Grants Interest Rate Observer call, Fall Conference is on. Yeah, on. Take that Rockettes. Take that New York Metropolitan Opera. Take that New York Philharmonic. In fact, take that uh, New York Metropolitan Baseball Organization, which is not even having people come to watch them play, right? That's right. So I want to tell you something a little about that. First of all, we uh, I think, Eric, the conference, the ballroom at the plaza holds 450 people ordinarily, right? They're about Correct. We will have no more than 125. That's including uh, family, friends of grants, includes the speakers. So we will be uh, separated. In fact, you'll need, like as I say in baseball, you need a relay to reach your next seatmate, right? Yes. <laughs> Mel Sottlemyre once said about looking on, looking upon his uh, 747 for the first time, he said to know in particular, quote, I need a relay, meaning it was a long plane, yeah. So there'll be plenty of space and plenty of intellectual stimulation. I mean, the speaker, we have a fabulous lineup. Speakers include uh, Jim Chanos, the short seller, Dylan Grice, the uh, European thinker about all things financial, Monica Erickson, who's going to talk about uh, corporate credit, Bruce Flatt on real estate, uh, Stephanie Kelton on modern monetary theory, and Mervyn King on uh, legacy monetary theory, Henry Maxey, the uh, distinguished English value investor, John Paulson, the great mortgage investor and the great gold bull, and Joe Waller, who sells stocks short for a living, especially biotech-related ones. I mean, talk about fabulous uh, content from beginning to the middle to the end. That is the lineup. It runs all day, and uh, we still have a couple of spaces. And, ladies and gentlemen, we have not, as far as I know, sold out of subscriptions. Now, Eric Whitehead, who was first vice president in charge of tallying these things, I think we have a few left, don't we? Yes. Yeah, we do. There you have it. 
to you what we expect you uh, as our friends. We hope that you would oblige us by subscribing to grants and then by coming to uh, the conference, right? It's not too much to ask. No, it's not. Not if you want to get uh, really rich, I think it's not too much to ask. So uh, let's hear what else is new in the world. But first we have pre-vacation businesses because we got a, ourselves a roiling financial world. Evan Lorenz, what what is going on? We are living through kind of the most unusual recession that I think um, the country's ever seen. Unemployment's in double-digit levels, um, surpassing the peak of great financial crisis. But consumer incomes are actually up. They're up because we've done so much stimulus that it's basically infilled the hole from lost jobs. The problem is the extra $600 a week in unemployment benefits from the uh, CARES Act, which you know supplemented a lot of income, expired last Friday, which meant last Friday was the last time a lot of folks got their unemployment checks. And while Republicans and Democrats are um, trying to come to a compromise right now for the next bill, this week consumers will not get another uh, check again. Beyond that, a lot of state unemployment programs only last for about 26 weeks. So even if the government gets its act together right now, passes a bill, and funds it to send out checks to, uh, on Friday, um, in mid-November, uh, in mid-September, we're going to see a lot of people have their incomes declined regardless. So we've had this recession. We've not had the pain. The markets have rallied tremendously as the Fed's extended a lot of um, financial support, but the pain looks like it's still going to come. Yeah, but you know, eventually. Evan, the argument against the extension of the $600, was it a, a day, a month? What is it? A week. A week. Oh, okay. Well, still, the argument against, of course, is that $600 a week subsidizes unemployment. And if you want less unemployment, you subsidize it less. So people who are, have, in fact, been uh, taking home more money, I guess they don't take it home because they stay at home, but the people who are receiving more money by not working than they had been by working, this will indeed force people out into the labor market and paradoxically, it was the same, would uh, give the economy a true stimulus. What, is, what do you think of that argument? Um, that would work out if there were actually enough job openings to fill job demand right now. But when you kind of look at all the statistics, there's a dramatic number of people for each job opening. So even if everybody could get a job or matched up with the jobs that were out there, there would still be the vast majority of the unemployed still unemployed without the income. Yeah. Um, there's been a tremendous amount of damage done to the economy. We're seeing a massive number of small businesses close, especially restaurants and anything travel related. And a lot of those jobs are just not going to come back for a while. And yeah. even if you subsidize people who used to work on those jobs and stop subsidizing them, it's not like those jobs are going to reappear suddenly. So it, it, it's a difficult problem to solve. Yeah. Well, here's here's a, here's a new thing from uh, the forthcoming edition uh, issue of Foreign Affairs, the illustrious publication of the uh, Council on Foreign Relations. And this is an essay by Carmen Reinhart and Vincent Reinhart. And what they contend is that the pandemic has created, quote, a massive economic contraction and be followed by a financial crisis in many parts of the globe. The situation is so dire that it deserves to be called a depression, a pandemic depression, close quote. All right, so, you know, you, you hear this from time to time. Uh, in fact, in uh, New York City, there appears to be a, a depression. Uh, the unemployment rate is close to 20 percent. And uh, it's not a recession exactly. It's worse than that. But still, the uh, stock market is, uh, is screaming to the upside on the lows of uh, March. And, uh, you know, it would not be the first time, Evan and Phil and Eric, that the stock market had the more prescient view of the future compared to the uh, essayists and economic thinkers who take a rather more dura view. What do you think of that? Is it, is it possible the markets know something that we don't? Uh, we know something apart than that the Fed intends uh, to let no ticker left behind. 
the market's always taken an optimistic view of everything. If you remember back in February, we were hearing harrowing tales of the virus and China was shutting down, and the S&P kept rallying until I believe it was February 19th or 20th. And in the great financial crisis, U.S. housing prices actually peaked in 2006 and actually started declining. By the end of 06, you started seeing some subprime mortgage rates default. Early 07, you saw like the ABX and subprime residential mortgage-backed securities sell off. Then you had HSBC take those giant write-downs. But if you remember in 2007, the market didn't peak until October of that year. So well after housing peak, well after you started yeah. seeing those pair of Bear Stern hedge funds blow up. So the, the market could continue like Wiley Coyote jump running over the cliff and not realizing the ground is, uh, you know, pretty far below. Yeah, I still remember the uh, uh, this uh, late summer, early fall of 2007. People of a skeptical turn of mind were just pulling their hair out. They couldn't they couldn't figure out what fast shrinking uh, foreign currency reserves, meaning, in other words, the uh, Turkish Central Bank has been actively in the FX market trying to 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 preserve the value of the lira and has been selling dollars to to attempt to do so and uh, is evidently failing you know, in its remit. Why, why would this matter to someone who is not directly involved with Turkey or even, you know, history has shown that in the case of, of emerging markets, uh, you know, currency crises can often um, can, 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 can can be contagious. I was trying a to look for a, a different word. Like, like, yes. like, like a certain other thing Indeed, we have been yes. reading about. Yeah. Well, um, also, there's uh, it's it's not inconceivable, I suppose, that Turkey would uh, impose exchange controls. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Capital controls, uh, de facto or otherwise, would would seem to be one of the uh, one of the the you know, perhaps necessary responses. So, so just to give you a sense of, of the, the scale of, of erosion to their reserves, they, they stood at about 80 billion at year end and uh, fell to about 47 billion as of last week. Importantly, credit sites, uh, the, a great research outfit noted that the CBRT, the Central Bank of the Republic of Turkey is, is a net borrower of foreign currencies to an amount that is more than a stock of FX reserves, excluding gold at the end of May. At the end of May, they were at 57 billion. So they've, they've since uh, fallen another 10 billion. And that's again, with the current Currency weakening, it's it's at record lows, not only against the dollar but also against the euro. Um, so another bit of context to the story is that the at the behest of President Recep Erdogan, the, the central bank has dramatically cut interest rates over the last year or so. The, um, 24% was the rate. It's now about eight and a half or eight and three quarters. And, uh, you know, alongside potential capital controls, a dramatic uh, reversal of that is potentially necessary, uh, regardless of how the president feels about it. And in that case, uh, Turkey's already damaged economy, coronavirus damaged economy could suffer substantially more pain. Well, uh, we know presidents. So it's not all bad news. I mean, there's $16 trillion worth of debt around the world that trades at a zero or, or less than 0% rate. But you notice one interesting thing about uh, Turkey's overnight rate the other day. Oh, yes, right. That uh, <laughs> I think it rose to about 1,050%. Uh, Basically, what happened there is um, at Erdogan's uh, command, Turkish banks no longer lend liras to foreign investors who have also uh, coincidentally been fleeing Turkish stocks and bonds uh, in recent months. So th this this lira shortage uh, led to a, just an astronomical spike to the aforementioned interest rate and the overnight lira borrowing costs. So if you're a foreign investor and have been considering uh, whether to stick it out, that's the sort of development that is not going to make the decision to stay any easier. Well, a little closer to home, uh, today brought news that the 10-year uh, U.S. Treasury, by some people's lights, the most important interest rate on the planet, is now at uh, 110 basis points negative in inflation-adjusted terms. That would be the lowest uh, such citing since, what, 1995 or yep, so, yeah. is it? Yeah, at least. So, um, right, that's as far back as that particular data series goes. But so you are earning less, according to the uh, judgment of the uh, inflation-adjusted bond market. You are earning less than 1.1% after giving effect to uh, the ravages of the CPI. So that's a, a sighting. 
And this, this plays a little bit into the other monetary news of the moment, namely the uh, big rally in gold. As of uh, last time I looked, it was over $2,000 an ounce. And uh, you know, this is a, gold's a big thing around this publication. I, you know, um, I myself, uh, I don't like to brag, but I helped invent uh, gold that's many years ago. Uh, you think that almost by uh, the focus that this publication has had on this legacy monetary metal. So I, I would like to say a few things about uh, gold as an investment. We, you know, it's, 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 it's a peculiar kind of investment. It yields, I guess, slightly more than bonds today, uh, certainly more than the 16 trillion plus that are quoted worldwide at less than zero in nominal, not inflation adjusted, but nominal terms. So gold in that respect is kind of a high yielder, but uh, that is a little kind of a a rhetorical trick. I mean, gold is uh, properly yields nothing, it being money or a form of money. Uh, cash yields nothing. You have dollar bills in your pocket, yield nothing. That's the nature of money. It's sterile. So that makes gold a speculative asset. It is, it's money, uh, but it competes against other forms of money, it competes against uh, fiat currencies, that is to say, the government issued stuff. And it competes uh, naturally against interest bearing securities. Uh, that competition is getting awfully easy for gold because, as noted, uh, interest rates the world over have crushed interest rates. They are now at lawn level or slightly beneath it. How do you, how do you characterize interest rates beneath the level of the lawn? That's kind pushing of pushing up grass. Grub level. Yeah, right. Interest rates are pushing up. Thank you, Phil. Interest rates worldwide are pushing up the grass. And uh, the central bank would see this, our central bank would seem to be in the mode of egging on the gold market. I mean, I once. Um, I had the uh, privilege of being in a private conversation with uh, Paul Volcker, and he said that it drove him nuts when he was running the Fed in the late 70s. He just taken over, and they were watching the price of gold because the gold market was thumbing its nose at uh, Paul Volcker's new program of uh, anti-inflation policy. Volcker announced, this was on October 6, 1979, he came and announced that uh, henceforth the Fed would, uh, would strangle inflation in and kill it dead. It would do this by crimping the supply of bank reserves, and it would let short-term interest rates go where they might. And where they went was 20% and up, 20%. But as Paul Volcker launched this program, this extremely stringent monetary regime, the price of gold went up and up and up. It went, if memory serves, from about $600 when he said what he said, or $500, to 850 in early January 1980. And I... I have a confession to make. This is a confession I think I've made in this very program before. It's not something I'm proud of, but you have to know it. And that is that uh, I, James Grant, the editor of Grant's Interest Rate Observer, went to buy a Krugerrand, like pitiable salary at Dow Jones. I was then at Barron's. I took my check for $850 and I stood in line at uh, what was then called Deke Parera Dealers in Foreign Exchange and Gold Bullion in Lower Broadway in Manhattan in, 19th, in January, in the chill of January 1980. I, Aaron, Evan, I stood in line to buy a security or a commodity. You never do that, right? No, you, you, you buy when everybody else is running away. I know. I, yeah, thanks. I, I wish you'd been there 40 years ago to remind me of this, but I, I did that. And I, I remember rather abashedly sitting around with my wife, former Patricia Kavanaugh, one day taking inventory of our cash resources then rather humble. We had some kids to put in school, through school, and uh, taking the <coughs> inventory of 
it was this lonely Krugerrand sitting, <laughs> sitting on the kitchen table. I think it was no longer $850. And I think it was price was close to like $320. So that was not going to pay any tuition. Anyway, so that's, that's the story. Uh, the somewhat, <clears throat> what's the opposite of illustrious? Yes, uh, the forgettable uh, story of my rookie years buying gold. Well, time passed as time is wont to do. And one day in the, this is 19, uh, when did, 1997 maybe, gold uh, was truly on its upper. I think this is the Gordon Brown liquidation. The Bank, Bank of yeah. England's, yeah. Gordon Brown liquidated the uh, stock of gold in the Bank of England. And the price, I think, got to $240, and, and not at the lows, but, but near the lows. Uh, uh, Sue Egan, who then was on the staff of Grant, said something offhandedly. Why don't we have some gold with our cash here that, in business? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. So we began to buy gold, and we came rather accumulate, for me, rather a lot of it. And over the years, steady buyers. I remember one day I, 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 I bought, uh, Eric, where do you buy gold from? What's the name of the outfit? We, uh, MTB. MTB. MTB, yeah, yeah. MTB. It's a long established and, and, and quite you know, legitimate. I, I, I say that only because if one has forgotten the name of one's favorite, legitimate, illustrious gold dealer, it doesn't really seem to speak very well for the reputation, or maybe it doesn't speak very well for the reputation of uh, a certain editor's memory. However, as I was saying, uh, we began to buy this stuff in, in some size adjusted for the scale of the business. Right. So one day I bring home the sack of this, bring back to the office a sack of this stuff. One actually went and bought it and took it back in the subway, a bag full of Krugerrands, laid them on the desk, not a neat desk, this is my housekeeping, and I uh, thought nothing more about it, went home for the evening, and woke up that same evening around 11.30 or midnight with a start, why did I leave this sack of Krugerrands on my desk? But I should have known they would be there in the morning because people regarded gold at that time as uh, kind of a low-grade hardware. So that was in the, uh, in the early aughts, and the aughts progress, and um, when you know the great financial crisis and uh, people begin to question the currency again and uh, gold makes its way to, uh, what was it, Phil, 1900 and something in the year 2011. Yeah, just over 1900. This was the uh, year in which S&P had the temerity to downgrade the credit status of the United States government to uh, what? Double A. Double A plus. Yeah, right. Yeah, double A plus, right. For which sin of impertinence, it was repaid by kind of a, <laughs> um, I'm not sure if it was an attack by the Justice Department, but the, but the let me just say that the S&P heard footsteps from the direction of Washington, D.C. for that bit of impertinence. So the point of this story is, ladies and gentlemen, that goes, goes up and goes down. Gold is the reciprocal of the world's trust in the institution of managed currencies. It's the reciprocal of the world's trust in governments generally and in government management. And um, the story of gold, of course, is a story, a story that goes back millennia. And I'm going to read to you a little something from, this is a speech of Alan Spruill, who was the head of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York in the, uh, in the late 40s and the 50s, I think. And, uh, and uh, in 1951, there was a great debate about uh, the gold standard again. This, these debates are cyclical, recurrent. They are secular. They are cyclical. They are for always with us. The nature of money is the question that's, in, that's evergreen. And Alan Spruill gave a speech uh, kind of pouring contempt on gold and the gold standard. And here's what he said. When you, he said, this is Alan Sproul, now the president of the New York Fed. Quote, when you boil it all down, 
and try to eliminate mythology from the discussion, the principal argument for restoring the circulation of gold coin in this country seems to be distrust of the money managers and of the fiscal policies of government. The impelling desire is for something automatic and impersonal, which will curb government spending and throw the money managers out of the temple, as were the money changers before them. All right, so that was, that was kind of a high and mighty put down the gold standard by. So where are we today? We are, as ever, uh, with respect to gold, we are in competition with the alternatives, which is credit, promise to pay money, and money itself. And money itself is, uh, oh, it's, uh, it is pouring off the press or flying off the press. Evan, I think if you look on pages five, uh, six, and seven of the given issue grants, you would see that the rate of growth in broad money aggregates year over year is in excess of what, 20%? I think so. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So we have the lowest rates ever, 4,000 years of history, lowest rates, the fastest money growth in peacetime, and we have the most determined Fed, determined that is, to create dollars with which to support the economy. And we have the largest peacetime budget deficits in modern history. Not only one of the largest, fastest periods of money creation, but overtly determined to raise the price level. Yeah, right. Correct. Yeah. There's, you know, in uh, way back in the 60s, uh, the Fed was uh, kind of uh, was uh, kind of complicit in uh, the rising rate of the, the crawling or the creeping rate of inflation. And uh, the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta uh, charged his colleagues with uh, with conniving at this rate. There's nothing conniving about this filler. I mean, this is uh, if you read the speeches of, of the the Fed governors of the chairman of the Fed, Jay Powell, what they want is inflation. So the setup is seemingly very bullish for silver, uh, which I haven't mentioned before, but silver, yes, and gold. But you really have to be careful. I mean, this stuff is uh, yielding nothing. It's speculative. I, I have, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have been long gold, and I have been happy, and I have been sad. <laughs> and uh, you really do have to watch it. But um, I asked Phil, uh, to check the today's hottest and perhaps most reliable in the short-term way, a speculative barometer to see the temperature of gold fever in the vast public. And Phil, what did you find and where did you look? Well, of course, I went straight to Robin Track, the invaluable um, uh, data aggregator for the uh, extremely uh, growingly popular uh, Robinhood uh, trading app. So we use, use the GLD ETF as our, uh, as our proxy for uh, gold speculative interest. As of this morning, there's uh, uh, GLD is the number 193rd most uh, popular stock on Robinhood with 39,800 users. Three months ago, when, um, when the price of gold was $1,600 an ounce or roughly uh, you know 20% below Below, yeah, 20% below current current prices, there was uh, about half the number of Robinhood users, 19,700. So it's doubled in three months. However, if you look at some of the more popular stocks, it, it's absolutely a drop in the bucket. AT&T, which is the 32nd most popular stock on Robin Track, has 219,000 users holding it. AT&T? Yep, yeah. AT&T. Ma Bell. We've got, we've got some other things to say about AT&T and have said them, um, but we'll move on. Uber, another one that we like to uh, discuss, has 250,000 Robin Hodlers. So that's the 24th most popular. Snapchat, number 16, has 354,000. And uh, number one, Ford Motor, has 924,000, or roughly 30 times more uh, than, than hold the GLD. Yeah, so there you have it. So uh, gold uh, and silver appear to be off on a vacation of their own, vacation to the upside. Uh, but uh, listeners to this podcast know to uh, look both ways before crossing.
Evan, I, I wish you a happy couple of weeks amid your cardboard boxes. Be well, and uh, see you uh, see you in September. Evan, thank, thank you, and likewise. Yeah, Phil, I, I, I let's go on vacation, shall yeah, we? Good, good idea. And Erica, keep your head down. And before we go, what about the uh, October twentieth conference? Yeah. Well, um, as I as I uh, mentioned uh, earlier, it is uh, open for business. And we'll see you, ladies and gentlemen. See, hope to see many of you there on October 20th. So uh, on behalf of Grant's Interest Rate Observer, I am Jim Grant. This is Current Yield, and we'll talk to you soon.